Man, over this week, if you have been with me on this journey, we have looked at the last week of Jesus' life, and we have looked at the characters involved in this story. We have looked at the teachings of Christ. We have looked at the story that went on. And in all of these moments, we've been looking to answer this one question, why did Jesus die? And I think Peter sums this up well for us in uh, chapter 3, verse 18 of the book of Peter. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit. And in this last week, if we looked at this, we have seen this played out, that we've seen that Christ suffered, and it was um, his righteousness for our unrighteousness, that he did it to bring us to God and to put to death the works of the flesh so that the works of the Spirit might be made manifest, might be made known through us. And why did Jesus die is a, is a big question. You know, it's more than just a day that's happened. It's more than just paying for our sins. It, it paid for our sins, but it, it's, it's more than that because when we looked at the Passover, that the blood had to be applied and that there's a, an applying work to this. And then there's an ongoing work that's with it. Um, <clears throat> man, it, it wasn't just a one-off event. But it's bigger picture than that. And we have to see that the whole Bible has been pointing and pushing to the cross. It's kind of like a dividing point in the Bible, almost the same way it is in time. And that we see that the the Old Testament pointed all the way to it. And then after that, from the book of Acts and on, it always points back to this cross. That this cross kind of becomes this hinge pin, not only in our life, but in everything and so why did Jesus die? And we've looked at that. We know that it's the plan of God, that God had a plan and that his plan was that Christ would come and, and live the perfect life that we could not live and show us that it's not through us that we find um, wholeness. It's not through us that we find the, the redeeming work. It's not through us that we find happiness and joy. It's not through us that we find um, meaning and pleasure in life, but it's through Christ. And it was God's plan to reveal that to him. And it was Jesus's choice to live this out, to come and fulfill the will of his father, man. And then we see that Jesus um, is to the, 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 Jesus died so that he could wash us, wash away our unrighteousness and make us whole. And we saw that when Jesus started washing his disciples' feet. And then we saw in the Last Supper so that is we could have communion with the Father. And, you know, it, it leaves us that this was an example. Like, and Jesus, uh, in the washing of his feet, he says, this is an example. When he broke the bread, he says, Every t- when you eat, do this. Like he, he made these things that were supposed to carry on, that these would be examples for us to keep carrying. Why? So that we not would be imitators of Christ only, but that Christ would be working through us. You know, this Christ didn't just die so that we could do good things. Christ died so that we could have a new nature that would live out new things. Like the new nature of Christ working in us would produce these things. Um, Man, so that we may be marked by his love. And that's what we're going to see today. And that we may be full of faith and obedience. And the last thing is to bring us to the Father. So we look at all these different kind of things that point to why did Jesus die? You see, the cross was not the final chapter of this story. And, you know, I know in Easter we always look to after the resurrection and we look to an empty tomb. But today I want us to look specifically right before the cross because Jesus already starts talking about his resurrection. He talks about what's next for the disciples. 
And when we come to this part in the story, the first part of John 14, we see that disciples are very distraught. They're very troubled. They're troubled over the words that Jesus has been saying here. They're troubled over the things they're seeing. That they, they can't understand why Jesus talk, keeps talking about dying, why Jesus keeps talking about what he's about to suffer, why Jesus would talk about all these things that are about to go on, and they're distraught. And um, I imagine we all would be if we were in that situation. You know, they had this idea of what Jesus's kingdom would look like. They had this idea of what Jesus's reign would look like. And now in the midst of that, that's dying. Like their idea is dying. If they're listening to the words of Jesus, like all their hopes are being crushed because they were there ready to march into the city with him to, to take up arms if they had it too. I mean, that's what uh, one of the disciples said. He's like, let's go die with him, you know. And um, here G- Peter, you know, at the end is whipping out his sword, ready to cut the, the, the ear off the temple guard. And so, man, these they were ready to go and fight, take up arms for Christ. And in all of these words that Christ is sharing, like this is dying in them. And they're very distraught. And here Jesus is, who in his last hour, is not consumed by what he's going through. You know, we as people, we would be consumed by what we were going through. Whatever the circumstance we're in at that moment is what consumes us. So that's what takes up our thoughts and what captivates us. And here Jesus is doing ministry in the midst of taking on the greatest burden he's faced. I mean, his heart is to his disciples. He, he's seeing what's going on. He's noticing this moment and he's speaking to that. And he speaks to that in these words. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. I mean, he's speaking directly to what's going on. He's like, guys, you're hearing the words that I'm saying, but this shouldn't create trouble in you. It shouldn't create angst in you. I mean, if you're looking at your life, it shouldn't create angst in you. I know it does in us, doesn't it? Because we're broken, we're finite, we're humans. But whatever we're going through, it creates angst in us a lot of times. It creates frustration. It creates tension points. And Jesus would say, What you're going through right now shouldn't be producing that in you. It should be producing joy in you. It should be producing great happiness and peace in you. You know, because this is what Jesus would speak later on as he's taking his peace, I leave you, and that he would turn our sorrows into joy. Like, this is where we should be. But the thing is, is usually we're not. And so we need Jesus to take us there. And so for Jesus to take us there, he gives us a few more revelations of himself here in this 14th chapter, um, because this is us. We're the people who need to be taken to a place of joy. We're people who need to be taken to a place of peace because we can't take ourselves there. You see, that's the point. We can't do this on our own and we need Jesus. And Jesus in his final hour is still doing this for his disciples. And Jesus is still here working to bring us to this next great revelation. And that would be in that he intends to manifest his glory through you and me. And in this last hour, he's making this known that that's the point of his resurrection. That after the resurrection, that his glory is going to be seen through them. Man, this should create great joy within us, right? This should create great excitement within us because and great hope within us because in, because we are broken people who cannot redeem ourselves, but yet Christ wants to do a work, a redeeming work through us on the behalf of others. You see, he does this, um, and he explains this in his own person. He says that if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Like there's a connection and relationship. There's an intimacy that's so tight that it's hard to distinguish one from the other. 
And if he said, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work through me. And so he's saying that there's a dwelling, an indwelling that's going on in Christ, even in that moment. Like the word of God is so rich and deep in Christ that it's creating an intimate connection and that the word of God, Christ should be so deep in us. The word of God should be so deep in us that it creates an intimate connection and that that word becomes manifest through us. It begins to work through us in all of our, at our means. And so here is, he, he, he makes himself manifest through us, first of all, by living in us. Second of all, he does it by giving us an incredible story to share. You know, Jesus, when he's talking to the disciples right there, he says, greater works will you do because I'm going to the Father. You know, a lot of people like to teach that this is miracles or um, healings or things like that. But let me, let me suggest to you that there's a greater work than a miracle. There's something greater than someone's cancer melting away, as great as that is. There's something greater than pain leaving someone's body, as great as that is. And the greater thing is the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we get to tell that. And that's greater than any miracle. It's greater because we get to see those who are captivated in darkness be ripped away and brought into the light. Those who have that redeeming work because the word goes forth the word, the story of Jesus, you know, Paul would say this, like, how will people know unless they hear? And how will they hear unless someone preaches? And when we go forth and preach the goodness of God, man, it brings those, it breaks bondages, it breaks chains, and that's much greater than any miracle. And so we see that that he manifests his glory through us by us telling others of this great story. I mean, what greater idea on Easter do we have than that, that we would tell of this great story? And the third thing is through prayer. And in Jesus, and in this, he's saying, you know, whatever you ask in my name will be given to you. You know, <clears throat> there's a lot of people who would teach that what that means is it's a blank check. And it is not what Jesus means here. It's not, he's not saying, hey, here's a blank check, just write it in my name. Because God will not do anything outside of his own will. And so therefore, somehow in this midst of our being able to pray that we are fully submitted into the will of God. And this is what that looks like. When we pray, we pray from a place of a fully identifying with Jesus Christ. This is what means to pray in Jesus' name. It's not just to put an addendum on our prayers. Jesus' name, amen. I know a lot of people do that and they think, well, that just seals my prayer and it makes it solid, right? Now it's gone to heaven and God's got to do something with that. No, what, what he's saying is, is when we pray, we need to identify ourselves in Christ. The second thing is we need to make our request based upon the work of Christ, the merits of Christ. And in our prayers, um, we need to have, we need to be shaped by the will of God and not our own. We need to be centered on his glory. And, um, that was what the father was doing. He, the father was making Jesus's glory great. The Holy Spirit works to make Jesus great. And we should be about the same work. You see, for us to pray in the Jesus' name means that we seek what he seeks. It means that our heart is moved by what moves his heart. And Jesus is letting know that this is what, this is how his glory begins to be manifest to us. And we'll see that, that he intends to make this happen through living in us, through giving us a great story to tell, and, and through prayer. <clears throat> The second great revelation that Jesus gives here is that their love, he's talking about the disciples here, that their love will be evidence of their faith and the goal of their prayer. 
Right? That the love would be the evidence of their faith. Like faith is going to produce something. It's going to have works attached to it. And that work is going to be founded in love. And so it's almost like when Jesus is, is saying this, that whatever you pray, you pray. It's almost like what should follow that is, so what should we pray for? That's like kind of the intended question, right? And I think John wants to kind of bring you to that point where you're asking the question of, okay, so if I can pray, what should I pray for? Well, Jesus kind of explains that. And it's that the love would abound in our hearts. <clears throat> That's what we should be praying for. That God's love would abound in our hearts. And that that love would lead us to obedience. If we want to pray in Jesus, this is what praying in Jesus' name looks like. Um, you look at the prayers of Jesus. He, he prayed, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Lord, uh, he knew what God had called him to. And he worked in that. He, he moved in that vein. The third revelation that Jesus wants to bring us is this, is that he will not leave us and that he would not leave them. And he promises the Holy Spirit. So even before he's gone to the cross, he's speaking of what's next for them. And this is that, that he would send them the Holy Spirit. In John 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. Like there is a life-giving work that the Holy Spirit is bringing in us. And when we begin to understand this work, it says he's our comforter. And he comes alongside of us for whatever we need to complete the will of the Father and to glorify Christ. So he, if, if our souls are weary, he lifts us up. Why? So that we may complete the will of the Father to the glory of Jesus. If we find ourselves weak and needing of strength, He gives us strength. When we need boldness because we're timid to make great the name of Jesus, when we are lost and we need guidance. Um, you see, Jesus had been their teacher up to this point, and now the Holy Spirit will lead them into all truth, and that the Holy Spirit would bring remembrance to what they needed. You see, the Holy Spirit would work obedience in the disciples. And so he's not leaving them now. You see, Jesus had been all of these things at, at, while they were walking with him. And this should give us great joy because he has not left us. He has not abandoned us. But his indwelling spirit is within us. You see, he's come to us. And he's come to us once again. And he promises to come to us. You see, this is the promise, man, that he would do a great work in us, that our love, that our, that love would be the evidence of faith and the goal of our prayer. It would be the work that God is doing in us and that he would not leave us. Man, that should create great joy. You know, we see in this full picture of Jesus that he came into the world. And when we see in this final picture of Jesus that he's still coming into the world, he is the one who comes to us. So wherever you're at today, I want to leave you with the words of Jesus tonight. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. So where you're ever to say, wherever, wherever you're at today, hear the words of Jesus, I will come to you. Man, you be blessed.
Go in the strength of Jesus Christ. Amen.